Peter chapter 1. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time. We are going to look at first in John chapter 20. I just, I know that not everyone here now was here in the early service. And so in the early service, we really spent our time looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, we read the text where they found the tomb empty, where, where he was there, where he made it clear that he had come back to life. And so here in First Peter, what we're going to do during this time is we're going to think about implications of that, right? Obviously, it's important for Jesus that he came back to life and didn't stay dead. But what I also want you to be reminded of today is it's also important for us. It's a big deal for us. And if someone were to ask you, if someone later today were to say, well, why is it a big deal? Why is it important to you that Jesus came back to life? I'd like for you to be able to answer that question. So that's what we're going to spend the majority of our time doing. But before we do, I just I want to read this text. Because if you weren't here to hear it earlier, I'd like for you to hear it now. And if you heard it earlier, praise God you get to hear it again. But John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, says this. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, to the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. So what we see here is... Some would say one of, I would say, the most significant discovery in all of human history. As, as this lady, Mary, goes to the tomb first by herself or with some other ladies without the disciples. And then later with the disciples as well. And they go to the tomb and they find that this tomb where they expected to find Jesus' dead body. Because when he was crucified... And died, they had wrapped him in these linen cloths that it talks about, and they had laid him in this particular tomb, and they'd put a stone in front of the door, and it even had guards guarding it. And so these people are coming, and their intent is to put, as their custom was, to put some spices and things, oils and things on this, on this dead body of Jesus. But when they get there, there is no dead body. Because Jesus was no longer dead. And so they see in the way that the linen cloths lie there proof of this. And then as if you continue to read, you'd see Jesus himself shows up and speaks to Mary. And she knows with all certainty that Jesus has come back to life. And this is, this is the reminder of, of what we're here to celebrate today. The fact that Jesus not only died, but he also came back to life. He overcame sin on the cross and he overcame death when he left the tomb. And so we celebrate that. We, we come together on Easter Sunday to remember the very first Easter Sunday when the tomb was found empty and Christ was found alive. So then what I want us to do now is think about, again, that's important for Jesus. It's a big deal for Jesus that he's not still dead. But I want you to know this morning it's also a big deal for you, particularly if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe in him. It's a big deal for you. So look with me in 1 Peter chapter 1. 
as Peter helps to spell this out and explain it to us. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. All right, before we consider this text together, if y'all would join me and let's spend a little time praying. Father God, I'm thankful this morning for the reminder that Jesus is alive. That you are stronger and greater than even death itself. That it cannot hold you. And Father, so today we're reminded that it will not be able to hold us either. Because you've overcome it once and you overcome it again for every one of us. So Father, we thank you for these promises today. I pray that as we look at Peter's writing here, that you gave to him, that you inspired him to write, Lord, that our hearts would be joyful and excited to see what you have given to those of us that have faith and offered to those who have not yet come in faith. Father, that we would recognize that the implications of Easter and Christ's resurrection are far-reaching, not only in this life now, but in the life to come. Lord, help our minds to understand that. Help us to not be distracted by other things. Lord, help my words to be clear and concise today that we would understand your truth more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, so Peter here in this writing, he begins by calling them to praise God. Some of your translations may say that. Some, as the English Standard Version that I used, say blessed. Blessed be the God. But that word, what he's saying is, he's saying praise God. When he says bless God, that's the idea. It's praising or worshiping God. So he begins by calling us to praise God. And that may sound to you like a very abstract thing. Right? Like he's just saying praise God. And you say... Okay, what does it look like to praise God, and, and why should I be praising God? But Peter here does a great job of explaining this more for us. It's not some abstract idea of just praise God that religious people just walk around saying for whatever reason. No, he gives us a specific reason that we should praise God. And that's helpful for some people like me that are maybe a little more analytical thinkers. Like, you know, whenever I was growing up, Sometimes mom would say, go clean your room, right? It's just this, this, just this command, go clean your room. And it's like, well, why clean my room? Like, you know, it doesn't make any difference. Your life's no better. My life's no better if my room is clean or if my room is dirty. Now, kids, I don't, I don't recommend you take that line of questioning with your parents. But, but when mom would say something like, go clean your room, because your grandparents are coming and they need to stay in there. Okay, now I understand what we're doing here, right? There's a reason tied to the command. Well, here, Peter does that for us. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or, or praise God, praise be to God. And then he tells us why. And in the answer why, why should we praise God? We find the main point for this morning's text and this morning's sermon. So don't miss this. In that same verse, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, 
He has caused us to be born again. Brothers and sisters, this is probably the greatest truth that I could possibly share with you this morning. According to God's great mercy, He has caused us, and when Peter says us here, he's speaking to Christians, and we need to be clear about that. This this only applies for people that have responded with faith and belief in Jesus Christ. But for every one of you that are here this morning that are a Christian, God in His great mercy has caused you to be born again. Amen? This is good news. This is exciting news. And I just want you to be as excited about it as I am excited about it, or at least partway as excited about it as I am excited about it. Peter here says this, We should choose to praise God because He has freely chosen to make us brand new. Point one this morning is this, God gives us new life. God gives us new life. Again, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God gives us new life. And this is one of the greatest truths, again, that I can share with you. One of the the greatest bits of news that I have, period. Full stop. It's called the gospel for a reason, because gospel means good news, and it's the best news that I have. What's good, Brozak? What's, What's been good lately? Well, God's caused those of us that believe in Him to be born again. New life. Made brand new. And it's because of His great mercy that he's done this. I I think Peter here is reminding us of this truth. None of us deserve this. Right? God didn't have to do this. He, He didn't owe it to any of us. In fact, he really owed the opposite to us, right? Because before we become Christians, we can just think about who we were. Right? We were sinful. We were selfish. We were rebellious. We didn't care anything about God. We didn't care anything about what He said. We didn't care anything about what He thought, even though He made us, even though He's over us. We didn't care. And so, He should have punished us for that. But instead of punishing us or abandoning us or writing us off or not caring about us, what He did was, in the person of Jesus, left heaven and came to earth and fixed everything that we had broken, right? Every sin that we've ever committed, every sin that that we're tempted to do, that we follow through that temptation and sin, He rejected every one of them. Every time He was tempted, He decided not to. He did the right thing every single time. And it's hard to wrap our minds around that, but Jesus never sinned a single time. Yet He still died a terrible, cruel, excruciating death where He paid the penalty that we deserve. And now, because he's done that, and because he didn't stay dead but came back to life, in his death, he defeated sin. In his resurrection, he defeated death. And now the promise is this. If you believe in him, you believe he is who he says he is, you believe what the Bible says about him, you call on him to be your Lord and Savior, you will be born again. And you say, look, I just came because it's Easter and my mama wanted me to be here today. I don't know what in the world you mean by being born again, but that sounds weird. It does. I'll just, I'd grant you that. Being born again sounds like an odd thing. What are we talking about when we say being born again? Well, 
The Scripture helps us understand this. What it really means to be born again is to be made new, to be regenerate. Right? The, the old person, the old sinful, selfish, rebellious person that, that I was talking about that we were before Christ, that goes away. And all of the guilt of your sin is taken away. That, that God changes us. He changes our heart and He gives us the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden you find yourself not being as selfish. Being more humble and thinking about other people. You find yourself no longer being as stressed and anxious, but being more filled with peace and with, with love. And, and all of these things. God does this work inside of us when we respond to Him in faith. And that's what it looks like to be reborn, born again, made new, regenerate. Whatever word you want to choose... You no longer love sin anymore. You love God. This is what God does for us. So the question may be, if you're here this morning, you say, well, that kind of sounds pretty good to me. How do I get that? How do we get there? Well, verse 3 also answers that question. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why I've been saying over and over and over this morning how big of a deal it is that Jesus came back to life. Because when He died and then came back to life, as Brother Shane said earlier, it proves that He is who He said He is. And who He said He is is God. He said that He is God, and He said that He's come to save us. And if He dies and can't come back to life, it's kind of hard to trust anything else He says. Right? He said, I'm going to die and I'm going to come back to life. And if He dies and doesn't come back to life, you say, well, I'm not following that guy. Right? I don't want to go where He went. But if he, if he says, I'm God and I've come to save you and I will die in your place, and then I'm going to come back to life, and He does, that's probably the guy you need to pay, pay attention to. That's somebody you want to follow. You say, I want that kind of power in me. And the truth that we see in 1 Corinthians 15 is that Jesus is the first fruits. The first fruit of resurrection. And I'm not going to, to, to expound on that too much, but I want you to understand that, that it means this. That in Scripture, you see that He died and came back to life. First fruit. The first one to prove that He can do that. And then it tells us that all of us that believe, you could say, if you want, are kind of the second fruits. We, we recognize what He did, He will do for us. What He did for Himself, He will do for us. He died and came back to life, and the promise is that even though we'll die and leave this earth, you'll live forever. If you have faith in Christ, you'll be resurrected to live with Him in this perfect place that we call heaven. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a few minutes, but... It's the idea that through faith, Jesus' victory over death becomes our victory over death. And so that's how this works. When you have faith, you receive His power and His blessing and His strength to overcome even death. And so here's the last thing I want to do this morning. I want to highlight three aspects of this new life. If you have this new life, these are things that you have. They are good you're going to enjoy this. If you do not have new life, if you have not been made new, if you've not been born, if you don't have faith in Christ, listen this morning to what God has made available to everybody that responds to Him in faith. The first thing that we have is living hope. The, the first guarantee 
that comes with new life in Christ is living hope. Look back at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I don't want to get too much into the idea of living because I think we understand what hope means and I don't want to spend too much time of anything that would distract us from that. But it just, it refers to like an active and vibrant thing. If, if you want an analogy to think about, you can think about the difference in like a spring, like spring water. So spring, uh, a spring where water just continues to bubble up. Like it just, it keeps coming. And even if you wipe all that water away or it all runs away, there's more. There's just more and more and it never stops. And it keeps coming as opposed to like a pond that's just, stagnant and the water sitting there and if you drained it there would be nothing left no the idea here of living hope is kind of like living water it's just that it keeps coming no matter what life throws at us no matter what happens to you the hope of Christ is still there it just continues you may have enemies in life that try and try and persecute you or beat you down or they don't like you and so they're just trying to they're trying to ruin your day over and over and they'd probably get frustrated if you're a Christian because they say, No matter what I do, he just continues to be happy. He continues to have hope. You can't make this man hopeless. You can't make this lady stop hoping. And that comes from Jesus Christ. That comes from being made new because we understand this, that, that no matter how bad today is, and no matter how bad tomorrow is, there's coming a day when all the bad will be gone. When there will be nothing but good forever and ever and ever. And here's the truth I know because you are tough people. I know Lincoln County, Kapaya County, Brookhaven, Wesson folks. And you're like country strong, tough folks. Amen? Yeah, I know y'all would amen that. So I know this about you. If I tell you I need you to do something really, really hard, but to do it for just a little bit, you say, I can do that. I'm tough enough, I can do anything for just a little bit. And this is the truth of Scripture. This life's going to be hard, but it's just for a little bit. And the life that's coming after this will never end. And when you know that truth, you have living hope. That's what Peter's talking about here. It, it's a hope that is rooted in Jesus' resurrection. And just like Jesus cannot die again, your hope cannot die, brothers and sisters, if you have been born again. If you believe in Christ, that's what's waiting for you. So if your life feels hopeless, I'd love to introduce you to Jesus. So that's the first thing that we have. This first guarantee of new birth is living hope. Active, vibrant, never-ending hope. The second thing we see in verse 4, that, that, we, that we have been born again to a living hope and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. The second thing that we have, the second guarantee that we find in new life is an imperishable inheritance. Now, Peter here talks about something 
that we all understand, I think we all understand what inheritance is, what, what, what that word means, right? It's, it's the idea of something that somebody else has earned that's freely given to you, right? That's when you inherit something, they, they earned it, you get it, you didn't earn it, you didn't pay for it, it's given to you. And that's the idea that he's talking about here. He's talking about something that we didn't earn but that we get to have. Well, that sounds pretty good. And he doesn't ever tell us exactly what the inheritance is. He kind of leaves us in suspense a little bit. He describes it for us. He says that it's imperishable, and it's undefiled, and it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for us. Right? I mean, it'll never disappear, and it'll never spoil, and it'll never lose its value. Right? That's what he's talking about here. So an inheritance that never goes away, that never decreases in its value, that never spoils. That sounds like a pretty good inheritance. And so I, I tried to list a couple of things. Talked to some guys in Bible study this week about a couple of things. What, what could this be? Well, it could refer to God himself, that God himself is our inheritance, right? God fits the bill. God never goes away. God never spoils. He never any worse than perfect. He's never losing value. He's in heaven. And he's the thing that really sets heaven apart from everything else, right? There's a lot of good stuff about heaven, but brothers and sisters, the best thing about heaven is that God's there. And you'll get to be with him in his presence, seeing him forever and ever and ever. That's the best thing about heaven. Don't, look, I know Hank Williams Jr. said, if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, he don't want to go. But this is what I want you to know. It don't matter what heaven's like. Some people ask me, Brother Zach, will we fish in heaven? Brother Zach, will we play golf in heaven? Brother Zach, will we... I don't know. Let's be clear. I'll answer all of them right up front. I don't know. And let me answer this. I don't want to sound mean. I don't care. Because you know what? God's going to be there. And I don't need anything else. He's going to be there. There's the inheritance. Could be God himself. It could be perfect resurrection bodies. Right? promise of Scripture is that in heaven there's no aching, there's no pain, there's no physical therapy. Sorry, Nick. Right? None of these things. You never wake up with an ache somewhere. You never get sick. There's no cancer there. There's no Alzheimer's there. Those things are gone forever. The bodies we'll have there will be perfect, brothers and sisters. They fit the bill. They never disappear. They never spoil. They never fade or lose value. We'll have them in heaven. It could be God. It could be perfect resurrection bodies. It could be eternal life. The fact of living without dying. Literally living forever. When we get to heaven, we're going to have that. It fits the bill. It could be our homes in heaven. Right? There's a debate that our homes are room in a big mansion, or is it each individual having a mansion? Again, I don't know, and I don't care. Give me a corner booth somewhere. Give me a spot to stay, a cot on the floor. I don't care. I want to be in God's presence. That's in heaven. It's waiting for us. But our home is there, and look, we'll have a place to stay, and it's never going to disappear, and it's never going to spoil, and it's never, right? All these things fit the vow, fit the bill. And so you say, which one is Peter talking about? And in my mind, this is the answer. All of them. All of them. That's all part of our inheritance. 
If you are born again, God Himself is part of your inheritance. A resurrection body is part of your inheritance. Eternal life, homes in heaven, living where there's no pain, no sin, no hate, no hurt, no death, ever again is part of your inheritance. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Christ earned it, but He's freely given it to us through faith in Him. That's inheritance. There's one other thing I want you to see. If you're born again, you have living hope. You have an imperishable inheritance that nobody can take away. Then look, at, look with me at verse 5. So he ends verse 4, says, It's kept in heaven for you, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The last thing that you have if you are born again, if you are a Christian, is sure salvation. Sure salvation. He says here that our salvation is something that through faith we are being guarded for. That God in His power, His infinite power, His never-ending power, and His ability, He is shielding us and protecting us and guarding us through faith for our salvation. And at the right time, at the last time, we will receive it. It's not maybe, it's not possibly, it's sure, it's certain, it is coming. Now, it may seem a little bit confusing, this idea of salvation. We will receive salvation because you think, I thought you said that we're already saved and that we've already received salvation. And that's true and that's a fair point. The idea of salvation is a, it's a very expansive idea. So part of it we've already received. We've already received forgiveness of our sins for those of us that have faith in Jesus Christ. We're not, it's not that we won't be guilty of them, it's that we're not guilty of them. The, the reproach of our sin, the punishment for our sins, already been taken away. It's gone forever. We already have free access to God. That's part of our salvation, is being able to talk to God anytime that we want to, and to know that He listens and, and hears and cares. We already have the help of the Holy Spirit, who helps us understand God's Word, and helps us to love God more, and who gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. All of these things, we've already received that. So you say, well, if you've already received that, what are you waiting to receive? What's left? Everything else that I just talked about a minute ago that's part of our inheritance. Living in God's presence in a perfect place where there is no sin. Nobody will ever be mean to you or anybody in your family ever again. Nobody will ever disappoint you again. And you'll never disappoint anybody else ever again. Nobody will sin against you and you won't ever sin again. All of the truth of not hurting and not having disease and not having to deal with death. All of those things. That's the part of our salvation that we're still waiting for. We're still waiting for that day to come. But this, the guarantee here is that we're being guarded because of our faith for that salvation. And at the last time, and you say, when's the last time? And you'll get tired of hearing this from me. I don't know. But I know this. It's coming. And when it comes, it'll be unmistakable. And when it comes, we'll receive all the full guarantee of the salvation that God's given to us. Point two this morning. 
God guarantees us immeasurable blessings. Some big words in there, literally and figuratively. Guarantees is a big word. There aren't many guarantees in life. Right? People tell you, I'll do that, and then they don't do that. People tell you, I'll be there, and then they're not there, and they don't show up. But the things that God guarantees, brothers and sisters, if you have not read the Bible, let me just give you at least this little bit to understand. That what we find in there is this. When God says He'll do something, He always does it. Every single time. When Jesus said, I'll come back to life, He came back to life. And every other promise that God's ever made, He's fulfilled. So when He says, these things are sure and guaranteed, you can go, you can take it to the bank. They're sure and they're guaranteed. And... What He guarantees us are blessings that we literally cannot measure. You hear all those things that I was talking about. All of the beautiful fullness of our salvation and of our inheritance. And you think, that sounds too good to be true. Well, if, if what I said sounds too good to be true, listen to what 1 Corinthians 2.9 says. It says, but as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. What does that mean? This promise is this. What's actually going to be in heaven when we get there is so amazing that you can't even imagine it. You think of the best place on the best day in your wildest imagination and heaven's going to be better than that. Everything that I've said that sounds so good, it's going to be even better than what I said, brothers and sisters. Don't miss this. What is the source of all of these things? God is. The text said, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who's keeping it in heaven? God's keeping it in heaven. And what about us? We are those who by God's power are being guarded through faith for that salvation. Brothers and sisters, Peter says this, it's all from God. He has saved us. He has made us born again. He is protecting us. He is keeping the inheritance. He is Him, Him, Him. It's only available because of who God is and because of the work that Jesus Christ has done. That He died a perfect death in our place and He came back to life. And so we celebrate that today. Let me ask you this question, a couple questions as we close. Is this you? The person that I'm describing today, the, the person that has living hope and the person that has an imperishable inheritance that you can just sit and daydream about how good heaven's going to be because you know one day you're going to receive it. The person whose salvation and getting there and being there and receiving all of this is sure. It is certain. Is that you? Are you the type of person that whenever I say, hey, where are you going to go when you die? You say, I hope heaven. I think maybe heaven. Is there hesitancy in your answer or is there certainty in your answer? Because you ask me where I'm going and I'll tell you I know where I'm going. And I know why I'm going to go there. And it's not because of anything I've done, it's because of what Jesus has done. But if you're here today and you have some hesitancy and you kind of feel like, I think 
I'd like to talk to you. I really would. I would like to look with, look, look with you at Scripture and see how can I know for sure. Or like, how can I be certain? I'd love to talk to you about that. I won't be combative. I won't try and argue with you. I won't try and shame you or make you feel bad. I'd just like to look at the Scripture with you to help give you peace of mind about that. If that's you, then grab me after the service or call the, the church office one day this week. If you've got a bulletin, our contact information's on there. You can go to the church website, and there's a form you can fill out to leave us your information. Do that, and I'll contact you. Whatever way you need to, if you're not sure about what's going to happen to you when you die, get in touch with me and let's have a conversation about it. I also ask you, if it's you, if you're here and you know for sure that you're a Christian, you know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die, do you sometimes, though, get so distracted or so anxious because of the things of this world that your hope starts to kind of not feel like living hope? Right? You know that Jesus is alive, and, and when somebody mentions it, yes, you know that you're going to heaven, but really you get so caught up in the things of this world that you're not living a peaceful, joyful, hope-filled life. This morning, I pray because of Easter that you're just reminded that, that you should be peaceful and joyful and, and filled with hope because even though things are tough right now, they won't be tough forever. Brothers and sisters, let your faith be strengthened today because of the work that Christ has done. And then the last thing I would say is if you're here and you're a Christian and your hope is full and strong, share that hope because you live in the midst of people Co-workers, friends, family members, people all around you whose, whose life is not marked by hope. There's a, a lot of hopeless people in this world and they need to hear the truth of the gospel. Share that gospel with those people that you encounter this week. I want to invite you to stand. This morning we're going to sing a, a song of response. And again, we invite you to sing this along with us. But maybe there's something else you need to do during this time. If you'd like to have a conversation... With me, we can start that conversation even now. I'll be right down here and you can come and grab me and we'll talk. Or I'll pray with you. I would love to pray with you. You can come and pray down here if you would like to. You can pray where you are. This morning also, there may be something else that you feel that you need to do. Something that you need to confess. Something that you need that the Lord's calling you to do. You can do that during this time. But if not, then I invite you to sing with us out of joy in response to who God is and what He's done.